Good morning. Good morning, Grand Valley. And welcome to our celebration today, America United, Grand Valley's celebration of this historic occasion, the inauguration of Barack Obama as the 44th President of the United States. We have a very full program for you this morning before we cut away and share the viewing party, so I just want to give you an idea of what to expect. We have um, several speakers today, but we're going to start with a video of four students who were fortunate enough to go to Washington on January 10th for a pre-inauguration seminar sponsored by the Washington Center, so we're going to hear from them by video. Following that, for all who are able, please stand as you hear Cassania Carter-Pugh sing the national anthem. Following her song, we will hear from President Haas, and then we will have scholarly reflections from three of our professors, Mark Richards, Lewis Moore, and Gleaves Whitney, head of our Howenstein Center. I'd like to thank the planning committee. There are so many people that came together to make this happen, but I want to mention a few. Tom Butcher, Matt McLogan, Mary Eileen Lyon, D. Sherwood Bosworth, Bert Markle, Bart Merkel, excuse me, and just so many others in news and information and many other facets of the university. We couldn't have done it without you, and we really appreciate all that you've put into it. So let's get started with the program. Thank you. As far as how I feel on, on that day, I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm sure it'll be something unique and, and different than anything I felt before. I, just, I know I'm going to be a little teary-eyed <laughs> and taking a million pictures, even if I can't see them, that's fine. I, I don't know uh, how the seating arrangements, or I guess it's more standing room tickets, is going to work and how close we'll actually be, but just being in that city for the experience will be amazing. I, I've heard that this is, this is going to be one of the most it's one of the most anticipated events in American history in that, you know, so many people are trying to go to Washington, D.C. at this time just to experience the event. I'm hoping to come away with it with a couple of friends in different parts of the country just to have those connections as well. All of the, the events going on, like I'll be down in Washington, D.C. for Martin Luther King Day and we'll definitely run over to the Lincoln Memorial and, and be at the location where he gave his famous I Have a Dream speech and, and see all of the activities going on to commemorate that. Um, so I, I think I, I don't even know half of the events that's, that are going on yet. It'll just being down in D.C. for that time period will be amazing. I've never been to an event like this before. Um, I use a lot of sports analogies, you know, you win a championship or something like that, it has a certain feeling that's probably indescribable. I'm thinking that that's what it's going to be like. It's gonna be one of those times you just never forget. It wouldn't have happened without, you know, this university being really student focused and making sure that students get that kind of experience because it's a special experience that I don't think we could get at other schools and that is fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Everyone to please stand and face your, my right and gentlemen, if you can please remove your hats. 
so proud to be an American. And I'm so proud about serving at Grand Valley State University in celebration of a new beginning, of a new president for the United States. Last week, Marsh and I were in D.C. And we saw the festivities already starting to evolve with the preparation towards this week. Well, this preparation towards this week started many, many years ago, many decades ago, many centuries ago. And I also had a chance to visit with those four students that represent Grand Valley State University, all of us here at this university, right there on station. And I could not be any more proud of them, too, as they will bring back experiences and share those experiences with all of us. It is indeed an unprecedented event, and I know that they, as well as us, will remember this day forever. Our nation's history is everywhere in Washington, D.C. Marsh and I had the opportunity of serving in D.C. many, many years ago. And we, we paid a visit to the Washington Monument. And we paid a visit to the Jefferson Memorial. And we paid a visit to the Capitol and many of the other sites. But one of which is absolutely remarkable is when you go in front of the Lincoln Memorial. And you go there at dusk and you can see the shadow of the Lincoln statue on his words the Gettysburg Address. And that, of course, as you know from your history, was a very, very short address and probably the, one of the most enduring messages 
ever in our history. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. Well, we do know the rest of the story. Lincoln saved this nation, and it has endured. We cannot really imagine if Lincoln could see ahead many decades into the future. And we don't know if he thought about an African-American as president of this great nation. But he set that in motion. And now we're celebrating President Obama's inauguration today and his new administration, another gentleman from Illinois. And President Obama will put his hand on the Bible that Lincoln used at his inauguration as well. Well, we must also remember that there was another event that we celebrated yesterday, his birthday, but 45 years ago, there was another event at the Lincoln Memorial. It is I Have a Dream by Martin Luther King, and it was delivered in 1963. And when you think of his words as well, the words that were resonating yesterday, those words clearly, not because the color of his skin, but because of the content of his character. That is the fondest hope that King had. Those higher aspirations for our nation and us as a people. Throughout this past year, Mr. Obama has asked each of us to be the best parent, the best sibling, the best friend, the best neighbor. Be the people of highest character. And I know that he will challenge us just in a few minutes with the notion of responsibility and accountability. And he has called us to serve, serve our cities and states as volunteers in recognition of the essential fabric of our nation. And Grand Valley has a long history of volunteerism and is the core of our character as a university, as represented by our students and faculty and staff and all of those who have come before us who are serving around the globe. I find great inspiration in this day and in this inauguration of this new beginning. It is indeed a day that we will all remember Always. Thank you. Thank you to GVSU and especially Vice President Arnold for the opportunity to speak to you today. How's everybody out there feeling about the inauguration of Barack Obama? To begin, it's important to acknowledge the civil rights leaders who helped pave the road for President-elect Obama. 
Civil rights attorneys Charles Hamilton Houston and Thurgood Marshall, architects of the NAACP's strategy against unconstitutional segregation, protected the foundation of civil rights exercised and fought for by Dr. King, who in turn led the mass social movement that enabled progress on so many fronts against racial discrimination. On a personal level, so many of us had specific moments that really drove home the significance of the election of Barack Obama. In part, this is because of who he is, because we were able to relate to him. In his speech on race given in March 2008, entitled A More Perfect Union, a speech which drew upon the ideals of equality in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, he stated, I am the son of a black man from Kenya and a white woman from Kansas. I was raised with the help of a white grandfather who survived a depression to serve in Patton's army during World War II and a white grandmother who worked on a bomber assembly line at Fort Leavenworth while he was overseas. I've gone to some of the best schools in America and lived in one of the world's poorest nations. I'm married to a black American who carries within her the blood of slaves and slave owners, an inheritance we pass on to our two precious daughters. I have brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, uncles, and cousins of every race and every hue scattered across three continents. And for as long as I live, I will never forget that in no other country on earth is my story even possible. The day after the election, my wife, Angela, a brilliant and talented first-generation Asian-American who is a proud U.S. citizen, asked my seven-year-old son, do you know what this election means for you? And as you could probably infer, our children are, like President-elect Obama, biracial. And Angela told him, it means you can do whatever you want to do in life. And I think this is a lesson for all of our youth. Political scientists use the term symbolic representation to explain the value of electing leaders who are diverse in terms of race, gender, and ethnicity. Symbolic representatives are important because they are role models who can inspire. Of course, the lesson Angela related to my son assumes that you work hard, and that is certainly the story of President-elect Obama. He graduated from Columbia University and Harvard Law School, where he was elected president of the Harvard Law Review. He worked as a community organizer and as a professor of constitutional law. And what all of this shows is that the American political system can still work based on merit. The United States is a representative democracy, not a hereditary monarchy. And this ideal is so inspiring to all Americans. We want the best people to be hired, promoted, and elected based on ability and achievement. Why has uh, why was Senator Barack Obama so successful as a presidential candidate? One reason is that he understood the importance of grassroots community organizing. He was able to leverage this principle and combine it with the sophisticated use of the internet to mobilize and organize campaign volunteers and donors and to create an incredible get-out-the-vote operation that propelled him to victory. A second reason for President-elect Obama's success is that he is a transformational leader. Of course, his brilliant speaking ability is part of this, but it is also his story. He's able to inspire the best of all Americans, to help us heal old wounds, and to give us hope for the future. Obviously, this story isn't fully written, so I want to turn briefly to some of the challenges that President Obama will face. Number one is certainly unemployment in the economy. 
The U.S. lost 2.6 million jobs in 2008, the most since the end of World War II. We've seen global stock markets shed trillions of dollars in wealth. As we pursue the stimulus needed to grow our economy, we need to keep in mind what is best for the long-term health of the economy and the planet, especially ending our dependence on oil. The revolution in plug-in hybrid electric vehicles is coming, and the new battle for global manufacturing leadership will hinge on the development of battery technology. In Michigan, we know that we cannot allow the big three to lose this contest. The types of investment and leadership required by the federal government on this issue may not pay off before the next presidential election, but I hope that President Barack Obama will do what is best for the country. The second major set of challenges includes domestic security and foreign policy, especially rebuilding U.S. standing in the diplomatic world. There are ways to exercise U.S. power short of military power. Soft power, the power of ideas, or as our soon-to-be Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said recently, smart power. And of course, as you all know, education plays such an important role here. The final point I'd like to make on the significance of today is in reference to popular culture and music, which is one way to observe the effect of a change in consciousness. Last year, I heard the song, My President is Black, by Young Jeezy and Nas. And I just thought, wow, what a great title for a song especially a song that came out even before the election was decided. And as some of you may remember, Tupac once observed, even though it's heaven sent, we're not ready to have a black president. Well, of course, as Nas reminded us in 2008 with a little remix that he added to Tupac's words, yes, we can. My president is black. As an American, it just feels so tremendous to say this. So to conclude, I'm going to ask everybody to join me in saying it at the count of three. One, two, three. My president is black. All right, come on, Grand Valley. We got TV here, internet. Everybody stand up. We're going to do it one more time. Get up. Don't hold back. One, two, three. My president is black. Thank you. Nearly 40 years ago, the federal government issued a report stating that there are two societies in America, one white and one black. America, according to the statement, was separate and unequal. With the nation split by race and engulfed in the continuous flames of riots that deepened the divide and exposed the ugly wounds of a limited democracy, there were only two choices. Americans could pursue the present course and eventually destroy basic democratic values or commit to change and ensure common opportunities for all within a single society. To be sure, this battle to fulfill the Constitution's promise of equality would be a daunting challenge in America where historically discrimination had permeated the democratic foundation. To change the future, the government created programs to close the racial gap but they understood that federal intervention could only take the nation so far and could not change the hearts and minds of citizens. The real fight, the real fight to save America would have to be won by individuals. 
From every American, the report pleaded, it will require new attitudes, new understandings, and above all, a new will. In short, Americans would have to fulfill the dream of Martin Luther King and create a world where merit and character replace race and skin color. This hope for change meant a complete reversal of the path of U.S. history. And although over the last 40 years, there have been many trying times, and we still have a long way to go to close those gaps of inequalities. Since 1968, America has forwarded in a generation triumphantly to create a better democracy. It has been a long, long time coming, but for me, there's no greater proof that change has come than the election of Barack Obama. In a generation, oh, go ahead, thank you. In a generation, we have moved from a nation that was racially divided to an America that has found enough common ground to elect a black man president. And he will live in a city that has for so long been a great paradox of democracy. He will reside in a house in which the land was surveyed by a free black man, yet built by the hands of slaves. From poor farmers to working class laborers, from women suffragists to human and civil rights advocates, and from disgruntled military veterans to anti-war protesters, Washington, D.C. has been a magnet for discontent of inequalities, yet only because they have the democratic gift of freedom of speech. Today's demonstration, however, is not one of dissatisfaction, but a celebration of everything America stands for. This historic day is an affirmation that America has changed and is ready to be a city on the hill for the rest of the world. My hope is that for all of us, we see this election as a signal that in America, we should never let our skin color, race, ethnicity, gender, class, a disability, or the fact that we grew up in a single parent household limit our ambitions. And finally, I want to take the time to speak to my beautiful daughter, Amaya, who's out in the crowd, hopefully not asleep. She will be one next month. And I want to say to you, Amaya, thank you for coming to celebrating this historic moment because the American people have made a promise to you that your life will truly know no bounds. Thank you. What beautiful and moving remarks that have preceded my appearance here, and I just want to thank my colleagues for inviting me to join you on this very historic day. You know, we were standing out by the cookies, President Haas and I, before events started, and I told President Haas that we ought to serve the ice cream developed by Ben and Jerry's for this special occasion called Yes Pecan. <laughs> this is truly a glorious, glorious day for our nation. We are participants, not just witnesses. We are participants of one of the most interesting and consequential developments in our nation's history. The inauguration of the 44th president shows that our system of government works. The promise of our democracy is filled, fulfilled, and the vision of our founders is redeemed. You will never live through another day quite like January 20th. 2009. Our nation seems larger today than it did yesterday, more filled with possibility. 
As you watch this 56th inauguration in American history, I want you to focus on three images. First, I want you to focus on the National Mall, on the people. These are people who look like you. These are people from all walks of life, all races, all ethnic backgrounds. If you were watching any of the TV coverage this morning, you saw a remarkable ray of humanity that has come together in celebration of this great redeeming moment in American history. A lot of these people were voting, had voted for the first time in November, participants in our political process for the first time. A whole generation of people is now feeling empowered. The second image I want you to focus on is the man Barack Obama. Naturally, you will. But I want you to think about his background. And of course, it's been referred to already. Think about the fact that this is the man who's the son of an African immigrant, who was raised in a broken family by a single mom, who did not have all of the prerogatives of wealth and power and privilege growing up. This was a man who six, seven years ago, very few people had heard of outside of Illinois. He had to overcome an enormous political machine to rise within his own party to be nominated and then elected president of the United States. The promise of that, think of that. Think of the message that sends to every young person in this country. At the Howenstein Center, I meet people when I first interview them to come into the Leadership Academy. I ask them, what do you want to do someday? More than a few say, someday, I want to be president of the United States, or at least I want to try to get there. It's within reach of any American. What a beautiful thing. And the third image, the third image I want you to look at, I want you to look at Barack Obama's hand. President Haas alluded to this. When the Lincoln Bible opens, is there, and Barack Obama rests his hand on that Bible, think of the historical significance of this gesture. 150 years ago, I doubt that anybody imagined that a black American would rest his hand on that Bible and swear the oath of office as President of the United States. This is truly a redeeming moment in American history, a great moment. It's a time, great cause for celebration. Well, I think I've been asked to wrap it up now. That does it for us here in Allendale, and I've been very pleased to join you. Please stay tuned as we join PBS Live for the inauguration of President Barack Obama in Washington, D.C. Thank you. Thank you.